If you are interested in starting your own podcast, we use Buzzsprout because it is simple and easy to use. Buzzsprout can get your show listed on every major platform while giving you the resources for a great podcast website, audio players that can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening to your podcast, and tools to promote your episodes. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and that is why over 100,000 podcasters are already subscribed to Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Following the link in our episode descriptions, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you. So in return, you will receive a $20 Amazon gift card from Buzzsprout while signing up for a paid plan. Most importantly, every subscription through our link is always appreciated and helps support our show so we can continue delivering the quality content that you guys listen to. That being said, back to the show. Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Junkies. I'm Count Burgula, and with me is... Joe Zonka. And today we're going to go in, like we told you last time, a little bit about horror comics. We're going to kind of dive into their history, kind of where they're at now, just kind of, you know, give you a little refresher. Getting into spooky season, Halloween, October, and uh, we thought it'd be a fun one to kind of, you know, we've been doing a bit more topics lately and maybe, you know, dive into one that's a bit around the holiday feel. Uh, So, Joe, you want to start us off? Love the spooky intro, by the way. Absolutely loved that. Thank you. And then also, if you hear any rain, excessive rain in the background or thunder, it's uh, it's because it's spooky season. Yeah, he's recording in Transylvania, so just ignore anything you hear. Right. But to start off, okay, so something I didn't really know anything about before doing this, and I kind of actually want to dedicate more time moving forward to do a little more research. But to start off, it seems like a little after World War II, there was a transition in interest from superhero comics to horror comic books. I mean, more so than just horror comics, like sci-fi was uh, doing really well around then, and so were Westerns. But it was a kind of way to experiment or explore genres while also keeping the medium relevant. More notably, titles like Eerie and Tales from the Crypt started to emerge. But at the end of 1954 is when the Comic Code Authority imposed itself on all these publishers, because I'm sure the public wasn't very happy about the material in these comic books, which essentially banned anything that was cool. That being said, there was like a decade of horror comic books that made a really big impact on the medium. And to this day, there's a niche of collectors that still look for these books. And um, many of these 10 cent books are now really expensive. And so I don't really know how to collect them because they don't really offer any like first appearances of characters, so to speak. But if I was guessing, I would imagine a lot of the speculation is driven by the artists and writers of that time that lost their jobs because of the comic authority and the cover art too for a lot of people a because it's really well done um but b a lot of those covers really pushed the envelope so i think that was a lot of the allure yeah i'm with you so yeah i i know a little bit more about horror comics just as a background um they're not technically my thing either i do collect a bit more golden age than you do per se but um, my fiance Jazz, I've mentioned it a thousand times before, but she isn't an avid collector. But when she does have, you know, the extra money or time or anything to collect, this is actually right up her alley. So she's really big on Halloween as a season in general. She loves the holiday. We actually already have some uh, decorations up on the house and we got a good month and a half or so. Well, 
little over a month until not even either way we're early i'll say that much but she collects horror comics uh she particularly likes the horrific series i think there's only like a dozen or so of them maybe less notably with don heck art he's also he was really crushing it on the golden age horror stuff but he even you know made his name uh in the silver age doing work for marvel so a lot of these guys um who were drawing and doing a lot of this classic art you know on horror books ended up eventually transitioning to superhero books as well even with different styles and colors and everything that the horror comics employed sometimes it's hard to tell that it's the same artist but to touch on the collecting i think why people collect these kinds of books you know it's the same thing as uh any horror fan people love you know being scared i mean why are horror movies still so popular there's horror conventions like oddities you know people love the paranormal there's those dumbass ghost hunting shows so people have always been fascinated by the supernatural the spooky and what have you those um, aren't dumb shows. Those shows are dumb as hell. It's like some guy farts in the other room. And they're like, did you hear that? <laughs> and then they got like that, like, sure. They play back the audio and it's. Yeah, dude. They like, <laughs> like they yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Are you here? Are you mad? It's so dumb, dude. But. You know, it's something for somebody. It's not for me, but the comics I can understand. So I think that the covers are really the biggest selling point of the golden age. Honestly, most horror books in general. Well, I mean, the just the way they would draw things pre-code, uh, just like the lengths of like the horror, the gore, the dismemberment, the spooky creatures, just the creativity of all the people working on this. Um, it was just, you know, really cool, unique things that you don't really see past the mid 50s. But the colors are are popping like you could look at like a number of titles the black cat mystery anything like that anything that's an lb cole cover even the horrific books shock suspense stories there's a ton of classics so i think that's a big thing and then just also they're scarce people don't make them anymore they're i mean how many survived from like the 40s and 50s all the way till today because like you said there's no first appearances to speak of i mean you might be able to get like if you go way back like some type of like dracula first appearance or frankenstein but you know those are characters that come before the comic medium so it's not like a real first appearance it's really just were people sued from making this book or was this just like a classic cover run because i mean everybody knows like tales from the crypt um the crypt keeper and everything like that that's just a classic cover even just the dressing not even like the actual individual covers it's just how those books were set up are just so iconic i can't even like the scarcity Old comic books are scarce as is, but I'm sure that these had less of a print run than, you know, superhero comics, even if it was a genre that was popular within that decade. But also because of the code, I'm sure a lot of parents had their kids throwing a lot of that stuff out, too. So I can't imagine. Are there any favorite artists you have in that time? Don't put me on the spot. I think it might just be like a jazz's influence type thing, but I do like Don Heck. He did a lot of weird terror and I do like the horrific books. Um, there's some classic ones. Um, a lot of them are like the almost like a portrait, like a face. Um, he's done vampires, werewolves, shrunken heads, voodoo people, a guy who got shot right through the middle of the brain. Like there's some cool ass covers. Uh, like I said, LB Cole is pretty cool. It kind of gives like a hippie vibe almost because uh, the way he would draw it and like the colors that were always being used, like there's reds and yellows and greens and blues, and it just kind of pops. But, you know, there's so many other classic artists. It's just, you know, this isn't really my wheelhouse to that degree for me to be super, you know, in touch with who was doing what 
about at the time. Um, I kind of got a lot of thoughts jumping around my brain. You know, we could talk about, you know, kind of the bronze period, the golden age, what's going on today a little bit. But I could we could start going back through the golden age, talk about a couple little trivia pieces, kind of give people the background on like how this kind of got going. So, I mean, horror stories have been around for as long as, you know, history, really. There's always been, you know, storytellers trying to spook people and do stuff like that. I think even what back in like the 12th century, there was like a pre like a predecessor of this that in like in Japan where there was a bunch of like written and drawn stories that like scared people. But we talk about American comics here and really that just starts us off in the 40s. So there were was the predecessor to that, which were typically like pulp books. So pulp books could be anything, you know, crime stories, detective, you know, suspense, thriller, horror. So those kind of were like a little bit of a predecessor, um, you know, not the traditional like 100% comic format. Those were basically they started off as crime and detective stories uh, that kind of showed a little bit more gore. But eventually these stories kind of got away from like uh, realistic, like following a detective solving a murder into more of like the inclusion of ghouls and vampires and other goofy, you know, kind of like the universal like horror stuff, the horror movies, like the classic characters that you think of. So most of the horror books back then did eventually start transitioning. Like if you look during like the heyday between like the mid 40s to the mid 50s, you every story had a vampire, an alien, a werewolf, a zombie, voodoo, everything like that. And like you said, um, they kind of started the tail off around the Comics Authority and, uh, you know, the end of the Golden Age, really. Even popular superheroes got in on the horror elements. Even like, you know, my boy, Captain Marvel. Towards the end of his run, Captain Marvel Adventures and in Wiz Comics, they started to throw in other features that would have horror stories in them. Or, you know, even the hero himself would be fighting more horrific villains rather than, you know, his usual goofy bunch. They actually did the same thing at Marvel uh, with Captain America and uh, Namor's series. So I'm pretty sure that Namor's Submariner series back then ended and then they just kept the numbering and they turned it into a horror book. Captain America, his typical, you know, punching up Nazis and shit, that came to an end and I believe it was Captain America's Weird Tales of Horror or something along those lines. Don't crucify me on that one. But basically like the last few issues of his solo series before it ended had more horror elements. Uh, One of them even has like a really cool like red skull cover kind of you know like arching over like this and i think in the last issue even though it was named captain america's like weird horror tales or whatever he wasn't even in it anymore so you can see that you know superheroes had a rough time too post-war comics themselves were a fledgling medium at that point but you know horror books kind of took over a little bit of everything before they couldn't anymore so here's like a little you mentioned it earlier actually i like that eerie issue one is typically known to be like the first horror book or one of them i mean you you could ask any number of historians or whoever but you know it had its own original stories typically before then they were just you know adapted from other old tales or reprinted from some other type of story Uh, but eerie one kind of got things started on the original series but the Follow from that, it was kind of like the flag bearer for what was to come. Uh, So Adventures into the Unknown, which started in the late 40s, that was actually like the first continuing series horror comic. So, you know, not too long after there, we started to get a whole bunch of dedicated series to horror books. 
it wasn't just one-off stories. It wasn't just throwing it in at the end of something else, but they were carrying their own titles and people were coming up with original plots and original art for these stories moving forward. And yeah, I mean, even Batman. So this is even earlier than that. Early Batman, I forgot to mention this, in I think it was in the Detective Comics in the 30s, like the issue 30s range, he was already fighting vampires. So it's just like the horror elements were already there. It That is weird. But now that you mention it, I never really put two and two together. But yeah, Hugo Strange kind of gives us like a or at least his, the first appearance or him on the cover kind of gives you like a little bit of a horror element to it. The hypodermic needle and the, yeah. you know, just kind of like the crazy scientist type deal. Yeah. And a little bit with the Joker, too. But yeah. yeah, to a degree. Yeah. But, you know, seeing like the ghouls and the vampires and stuff became more commonplace for even our superheroes to start fighting, um, which I mean, nowadays they're fighting all kinds of different monsters and whatnot. And so basically there was a lot of things were happening, but between the 40s and up until 1954, uh, when the comic code came in, it was the golden age of comics, but it was the golden age of horror specifically. I don't think that the highs from this heyday have ever been matched, and I doubt that they ever truly will. I think that they have staying power and that horror will always be a subgenre that people will love but this was it for that time but the grace period here was only a matter of you know about 10 to 15 years really that's because people in the 40s were blaming these books for juvenile delinquency they're showing sex they're showing gore dismemberment murder you know the worst things that society could show to you and you know that uh, the u.s in the 40s and 50s was you know especially compared to today pretty conservative you know strict morals catholicism this that and the other we don't want to have a bad influence on our kids so there was litigation brought up people were mad they were up in arms about these comics being marketed to our kids because comic books especially in the 40s these are funny books for children you know there weren't adult collectors back then these are just kids who buy these as a little piece of entertainment and you know this kind of makes it a key here crime suspense stories issue 22 that's one of the books that has an iconic cover the beheaded woman being held by her blonde hair with the axe and the hatchet um oh didn't that one go to court yeah it was used as proof in the Senate hearings about the effects of books on the kids. I will say, though, that the ruling was eventually that comics aren't responsible for it, but they did suggest that they should voluntarily tone it down. So that's actually, you know, they weren't forced to tone it down, but that's kind of how the Comics Code Authority came about, kind of to self-police so they don't get into any further uh, trouble. So after these hearings, really, like DC started shifting most of its horror books over to suspense and mystery books. Uh, a lot of them had like a sci-fi influence, uh, you know, notably like House of Mystery, House of Secrets. All of those books had a bit more of a, I would say, legitimate horror feel to start. But, you know, we're kind of where we collect, you know, like your classic Neil Adams covers and stuff like that. That's more so like a little bit of like a suspense thriller. But by that time, kind of had a little bit of the horror element thrown back into it, but never really the way it Not was. Not like that pre-code stuff. No. And that's the thing here. So, I mean, um, I wanted to bring up that Marvel did the same thing. As everybody who collects Silver Age stuff knows, you've all seen Strange Tales, uh, monster books, uh, Journey into Mystery, all that stuff. Like it's, it was just a bunch of big, you know, Kirby monsters and stuff like that, which is in a way horror, but it's almost like its own subgenre, dude. It's a monster book. It's not a horror book. So really, they just tried to distance themselves from like a less popular genre and did what they could. But eventually, 
things prevailed, you know, after 1971, Comics Code Authority relaxed its guidelines. As we all know, we had like the DC like drug stories and stuff like that. Spider-Man even had a drug PSA back in the day. But, you know, they relaxed the authorities. More horror stuff started to creep back into uh, the mainstream. Um, I mean, at Marvel, we saw Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, Ghost Rider. Those all have horror elements. So, you know, it kind of started to boom in like the 70s again, but only for a matter of like four or five years before everything started uh, heading back towards cancellation. It's been gone for like 20 years and the audience isn't really there anymore and they're not doing it the same way. So they tried and I mean, it is kind of there, but it's much more niche now than it was prior. Anything you can take away from doing all this research? That's a tough one, Joe. So, I mean, I knew pretty much most of what I'm talking about. It's just weird looking into like the litigation of how that went, because I mean, we even saw how comics self-censored so much to the point when they weren't like legally forced to that they completely changed how they would publish forever, really, because think about it. It didn't the Comics Code Authority kind of came out of this, but it affected their whole line. Anything that they published from that point forward was buttoned up and toned down. So I guess it's kind of that. It's that, you know, horror comics kind of being the Wild West back then. You could draw beheadings and whatever the hell you wanted. And then they're just like, you know what, guys, we don't want to get no more trouble. So now even superheroes are going to suffer. And people are buying and reading it, though, because like the stories were interesting. The art was out there. Like, I find that kind of cool that there wasn't just a supply, but there was like a demand for it, too. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it's post demand. Uh, but even during the time, you know? Yeah, but I mean, you ban anything, people are still going to want it. You can ban whatever the hell I enjoy now, and I'm still going to want it. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's just kind of hard to believe how the Comics Code Authority just kind of came up for like a matter of like 20 years, kind of threw a wrench into how things were done, and then went away, and now we don't really talk about it. Uh, it gave me a lot of appreciation for artists that I didn't really know about. You got A.C. Howlingsworth. He's the first black comic book artist in the 40s and 50s, and he had a unique style. Matt Baker, he was famous for his like rendition of females in romance comics and did a lot for the pre-code horror stuff. Bernard Bailey, he created the Spectre and had some really cool covers for uh, horror comics. L.B. Cole, you mentioned him earlier. He's probably the most iconic name from like what I gather on Instagram for people that collect superhero comics. Mm. But I don't know that much about him. But um, him and Jack Cole were pretty iconic during that time. But from what I gathered, I actually my favorite was Lee Elias and War, uh, Warren Kramer. Mm. I guess Kramer would like do rough sketches because he was already established, but saw a lot of talent in Lee. And so he would let Lee finish his work for him. And the covers from their team up just seemed to stick with me more than anything in that time. Like you got the lady with the wine glass over her face and you can see her skull through the uh, the wine glass. But yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. After all this research, I still would have a hard time with uh, the idea of expanding my horizons and collecting a lot of this stuff because the stuff I would be interested in collecting would be like pre-code stuff, which is stupid expensive. But I did gain a huge appreciation for the genre and the artists and writers and would love to actually read a story from pre-code with you sometime for the pod. It looks interesting. I think if I had deep pockets, I would probably collect horror comics 
Netflix pre-code stuff because I do like the work. And I do like that it does, to your point, bleed into Marvel and DC. I know Stan Lee and Jack Kirby worked on a lot of horror stuff back in the day. But like you said, we got titles like House of Mystery um, that gave us horror comic vibes and um, some characters too, like Swamp Thing, which isn't your traditional superhero, but kind of satisfies that need for horror in comic books. And lastly, you brought up Werewolf by Night. Did you watch that trailer? No. No? No. I heard the show's coming out in like a couple weeks, so. I liked the trailer. I only saw it once, so I mean, I'm not going to die on this hill, but it kind of looked like Frankenstein, Dracula, almost like pre-audio or silent films. That's what I was looking for. And so uh, it looks good. I'm excited with the direction and that we can kind of get some of that horror element in the superhero genre to kind of satisfy that that need. Yeah, I hope it's good. Like you just kind of mentioned, we don't really have a ton of like prominent horror going on nowadays. So that actually reminds me, I've got a little bit more to button up on like the history or timeline of horror books before we kind of wrap. Um, You mentioned this actually, so it's a great segue, Swamp Thing. So the 80s and 90s, we got out of the 70s where things were getting canceled again. But, you know, DC did a really good job in the 80s and 90s. It's when they created Vertigo, um, and that led another resurgence of horror themes within books. Uh, So namely Swamp Thing, as you mentioned, the uh, the run by Alan Moore, Sandman, Hellblazer, with John Constantine. Um, All of those all had heavy horror elements in them and kind of brought that like a tinge of that vibe to a new audience. Um, Like we said, like the old school pre-code stuff is that was a place in time that we don't really see much anymore. But moving into the modern day, uh, the biggest success that we've seen in horror books in a long time has been The Walking Dead. That's run its course. I mean, you know, it's an all time classic now just by virtue of what it spawned and created. It's a multimedia franchise cultural phenomenon even my mom was like okay let's watch this when you get home from school yeah exactly um there's been good things that came out in the modern day it's just a different vibe from what how it started i mean even hellboy has horror to a degree you know it's kind of lovecraftian in that way but you know it's got horror there because it's mostly the paranormal um and even marvel zombies uh which you know i've honestly never read but i know that that was also somewhat of a cultural phenomenon during the time of that event i've seen art of that for years years and years and it's never really piqued my interest but you know it's a thing but the last thing i really got to say is that you know horror books tie into everything you know a lot of these franchises that we know even if you're not a horror comic fan if you're just a regular horror fan even your biggest favorite franchises are gonna have comics uh video games stuff like that i mean halloween friday the 13th the texas chainsaw massacre i mean it's more sci-fi but like alien that's got horror themes in it but any Anything that you really like that's kind of like a horrific book, you know, it probably has a comic adaptation somewhere or there's even going to be them being created from horror books. I know that there's like one, I think it's called like the Black Coin. Last time we went to the comic shop, there were some like reprint books um, that were reprinting like pre-code books, uh, horror books, and those were pretty cool. I don't know exactly the titles, but there were a handful. So, I mean, if you're into these pre-code horror books, there's definitely like, if you like the EC books, I would say that's probably the gravy train of these. I mean, there's some old Atlas books and stuff like that that are going to be awesome too, but EC 
DC is kind of like the uh, the DC and Marvel of the horror books. So, I mean, if you want to go there, there's definitely reprints or you just go to the comic shop and there's a, there's a handful of horror books. Just ask whoever's at the shop for them. I mean, they're not moving like hotcakes or nothing. So uh, they'll appreciate you looking for them if you're interested. It was cool to see uh, Charlton had uh, was distributing some stuff back then, too. Yeah, everybody was in on it. It's just there were so many smaller publishers or publishers that eventually turned into the big two that most of them died off. I mean, Gold Key and all these other places that kind of tried to dip their toe into it were kind of branded as more wholesome. So, you know, there was a lot of competition, but only amongst a handful of companies. But yeah, I mean, that's basically all I've got for like the history and the timeline of these books. This is just a surface level, you know, just scratching the surface of it. I mean, if you guys want to do your own research, I would commend you for it. Um, There's a lot of history in these books and they are very, very cool. Um, I do like flipping through Jazz's box. It's uh, she's got like a short box that's like probably half full, full of cool books with sweet covers. Um, And there's a ton of great covers. I mean, the art was impeccable back then. But you got any closing thoughts, Joe? Um, Anything you took away? Anything you want to share? Or? Probably not that I already didn't mention. But uh, like I said, I'm grateful that you pushed me to uh, do some research on this topic. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing next episode. Just let them know, brother. Tell them. All right. I'll tell you. So we're going to be doing the long Halloween. It's a Batman story. It's uh, we're reviewing a comic book, uh, which we haven't done in what feels like years. So <laughs> for being a comic book podcast, I'm pretty stoked. And it kind of fits the uh, mood of October. So definitely uh, stay tuned for that one. It's something that I've been wanting to do since last year, but we missed our window. It was not intentionally, but we're making up for it this year. So right on. Yeah, I'm excited to do that one, too. It'll fit in great. Another classic Batman story, and it'll be Halloween. But you guys know what to do. It's our call to action here yet again. Review us, rate us. Hey, hey, can you do the outro in your spooky voice? Oh, I'm so sorry. So if you want to help the podcast, you must go onto Apple Podcasts and rate five stars. Ooh, or I will suck your blood. Otherwise, (laughs) 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 don't tempt them with a good time. Yeah, dude, I nibble first. But anywho, you know what it is. Go ahead, rate us, tell a friend, do what you got to do. Tell a neighbor, your mailman, I don't care. But just help us out. It helps any of your podcasts. If you can't do it or if you already did it, we appreciate you. And we hope you're with us next time. Till then, guys. Later.